Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. So we've been uh, taking a look for months now of uh, what God is doing in the early church in the book of Acts. And then last week, we actually saw what, what I think is a shift in the, well, it's not what I think, it's, it's what happened, an actual shift in the move of the Spirit of what's actually taking place in the book of Acts. So we see the gospel begin to spread everywhere, and we see the celebration of God's actually work, of God's actual work. There's one thing, though, that I just want to pause before we dive into Acts chapter 13 this morning. Uh, and invite you, encourage you uh, to join with us here on Wednesday night uh, in this sanctuary as this is our school's spiritual emphasis, Warner Christian Academy Spiritual Emphasis Week. You know, our heart here in this ministry, in this church, is that all of us across this entire ministry would be unified. And so we would not have little pockets of ministry where we have this ministry and that ministry and this ministry and that ministry, and then we do our church on Sunday, we do our thing of church on Sunday morning, and everything else just takes care of itself. That's not the way God actually designed the church. The way that God designed the church and what we've studied and learned through um, our look into the book of Acts is the church was unified. And whenever the world sees a church that is unified, working together, then what happens is the world becomes attracted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, unity is not uniformity. I'll put that, I'll file that to the back. Uh, that's a whole sermon in and of itself. But it's not, it's not, we're not all going to be uniform. We're not all going to be exactly cookie-cutter Christians. Uh, we can, we'll talk about that another day. But the one thing that unity is, is the coming together of the body of believers, united in mission under the banner of salvation in Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you this Wednesday night to be here in the sanctuary. Our goal was not just for us to have a spiritual emphasis week in the fall for our school, but to also do a spiritual emphasis week in the uh, spring for our school. And then the next step, which will take place on Wednesday night, 6.30 in this room, is for this entire ministry to come together, church, school, every bit of the ministries of this place, to join together on Wednesday night to be able to study the Word of God and hear an amazing, powerful message and an exciting worship service. Uh, Pastor Antoine Ashley and, his, uh, and uh, his family are going to be there. This is Pastor Antoine. He pastors our sister church in the land. Uh, it is actually, it's, it's interesting enough, if you go back, uh, the church in the land is a church that this church planted many, many years ago. And so I'm excited for us to be able to join together with them. They're bringing some folks from their church uh, they're bringing some of their youth as well, and so I want to encourage you to be here with us 6.30 in this room on Wednesday night as we celebrate the unity that God has given to us 
So it's modeled here and then in the community as others become attracted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what we've seen in our study of the book of Acts is that unity that's been on display, uh, but now we're beginning to see the gospel spread into a variety of different areas. So we began to look a couple of chapters ago at the the, uh, church that was in Antioch. And the Lord has really been stirring in me for the last couple of weeks to examine in depth the church in Antioch. And so uh, I'm not feeling well today. Uh, I was debating uh, yesterday uh, to not be here and ask someone else to share. But as I prayed about this and wrestled with it, uh, I'm going to share a lot from, from some things that I have I've spent some time and journaled with the Lord. And then over this last, uh, this last week, as I have just wrestled with the Lord, what is the church at Antioch and what does that mean for us? I just really felt that um, I had to share this message with you as we begin to look at the church of Antioch. And so I wasn't being antisocial earlier. I'm not being antisocial after church in a little bit. I'm just trying not to spread all of my germs to you. Um, uh, But I just feel an urgency to get into this church in Antioch that we've got to start today. And so that's what uh, our dive into deeper today. You think about the church in Antioch and how it came about. It came about because of persecution. So remember, as we've looked at the last few chapters in the book of Acts, what happened was the believers all gathered in Jerusalem. The Lord used persecution to actually spread them out, and here God's plan actually begins to take over. And so if you remember the words of the Holy Spirit to the church in Antioch as they were praying and fasting that we looked at last week, so in the beginning of Acts chapter 2, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 13, verse 2. I'll put it up on the board, but hopefully you're there in your Bible. These are some vital words, and I just want to use them as a launching point this morning. We're going to come back to them several times today. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, this is the key here. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit then said, they were, the, the church in Antioch was a church that was devoted to seeking out and listening to what the Spirit was actually doing in their midst. And this is vital and this is key. If you missed last week's message, uh, not that it was some amazing, powerful message, but I think that there were some bits and pieces that are vital for us in our walk that I want to encourage you to go back and actually watch that. It's on our church YouTube channel. It's on our church Facebook channel. Uh, If you need a link, reach out to us in the church office because here we dove into this idea of worshiping and prayer and fasting and why for us as disciples of Jesus, that is vital for us. And we see this uh, worshiping, prayer, and fasting be a central point for the church in Antioch that God then uses to begin to spread the gospel around the world. Now think about who was here. Last week we looked at what was taking place in the actual prayer and in the fasting. We, gather, we see these five key people that are gathered here, the leaders of the church of Antioch, And the Holy Spirit speaks and says, I want you to send out two of these key people. Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, are actually going to be sent out. But we have to think, what was the mission that God had actually given Paul? What was that mission? In Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16, it says, But the Lord said to Ananias, You can go back and you can study this, but here we're going to see some key foundational pieces that become vital in the next steps of spreading the gospel. 
So God speaks to Ananias, and this is what he says. Go, this man, or Paul, is who this, uh, the Holy Spirit is actually speaking of. He is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so here the Lord is directing uh, the calling of Paul to rise up to the surface so that Paul would understand exactly what his mission in life was. I believe that what God has uh, in this next phase for us as a church is for each and every one of us to discover the giftedness that he has given to us. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But this was on display and prevalent in the church in Antioch. The mission that God has for you is vital and it plays in this very moment in this church. So now God's mission is underway talked about the sending out of Paul and Barnabas, and we read just a little bit of their journey, but now I want to look at this again. And so if you'll look with me in verse 15, no, I'm sorry, verse 13. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm not going to read all of this. I want to give you some homework assignment to go actually read this. <coughs> so if we take a look at what's happening here, Paul and Barnabas have been sent out. They actually arrive in the Poseidon church, and here they are, and now what we see is this ministry begin to spread. So look at verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed from Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they sent on to the Poseidon Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for these people, please speak. And so here the Apostle Paul actually gives us his sermon. We've seen in the past, the first sermon preached, Peter stood up. Peter preaches another sermon. But here now Paul is actually sharing a message. You can see all of this message that actually runs down to verse 41. And Paul, just like Peter, lays out the gospel. He goes all the way to the, ba- he goes all the, way to the beginning of the promise that was actually given, how that was actually filled, what happened in Jesus, why Jesus was actually God. He lays out the case. He was crucified. He was buried. He resurrected. He ascended to the Father. And then the Holy Spirit actually came. Paul lays all of this out in his message. And so let's skip to verse 42. I just want to point out, though, before I read verse 42, the mission here of Paul, Paul's calling on his life that we read in Acts chapter 9, was to take the gospel to the Gentile believers. But whenever we see Paul take this second leg of his first missionary journey, what he does is he goes actually to the synagogue. Now, here in the synagogue were gathered the Jewish believers. But Paul is operating contradictory to his calling. He's not gone yet to the Gentile believers. He's with the Jewish. He's with the Jews. And he preaches this gospel. And then watch what God does in verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. Verse 44, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Now in this, in Paul and Barnabas' preaching, 
and sharing and teaching the amazing message of the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ, what happened was so many people, almost the entire city, was attracted on the next Sabbath, on the next day, for the word of God to actually be preached. Celebration. Look what God has done. As we share the gospel, God will send people into cross into our path that then enables us to fulfill the calling or the assignments that he has actually given to us. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 45. <clears throat> when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. So here what we actually see is the opposition arise to Paul and Barnabas on this missionary journey. If we continue reading in this, we'll actually see how God uses, again, this persecution to begin to spread the gospel and Paul rise up to obtain or to, uh, to actually fulfill the calling that God has placed on his life. We get here to this passage of Scripture to, to see the fulfillment of the Great Commission that Jesus gave at the end of Matthew in chapter 28, and then again as it's recounted by Luke in Acts chapter 1, we get here because we see a faithful church in Antioch. And that's what I want to focus on today and, and probably next week as well. We see a faithful church in Antioch. I think that what's taken place in Antioch, there's a lot of pieces that God actually has for us in this refuge of grace's White Chapel Church. And as I have sensed the Lord stirring for some time now, this is a key piece of us actually studying the book of Acts to determine who we are as a church and what the values that we actually hold deeply that are going to be vital for us achieving God's dreams for all of us. And so I'm going to go through five things this morning, and I'm, I'm going to go through them pretty fast. I'm going to put them up on the screen for you, uh, but I want to ask you to write these down. I want to ask you to write the scripture references down, and I want to ask you to wrestle with these in your time with the Lord as you pray and as you fast and as you spend time worshiping the Lord in his presence and sitting at his feet. Talk to the Lord about these things. Have some conversation with the Lord about these things because these are some vital things that we actually need here operating in this refuge of grace. The first thing about the Antioch church is they were an evangelistic church. There was an urgency within them to actually share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, God did bring some scattering to birth this church up. He sent the believers out of Jerusalem as they were running to, stay, uh, to actually stay alive. But God used this scattering in this church in Antioch to press them and give them an urgency to actually spread the gospel. They were still evangelistic. They risked their lives for the sake of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we are going to be a refuge of grace that is on mission, then we have to have this same sense of urgency inside of us to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. If you look around us, anytime we are out in this community, there is a community that is hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But yet, the majority of the people that are lost and undone, but yet they hunger for the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't know that it is the gospel and the relationship with Jesus that can fill the void that they're trying to fill in so many different areas in their life. 
We have to be an Antioch evangelistic church so that the good news of the gospel is spread. Excuse me. So often, so many churches begin with an urgency to spread the gospel, with an evangelistic um, uh, desire inside of them. But yet, once they reach a certain size or a certain age, then that evangelistic edge takes a back seat so that all the other things that a church should be doing uh, actually takes precedent to that. Forgetting that it was the evangelistic urgency that got the church to the place where it was in the first place. We have to have this same evangelistic urgency that Grace Bevel had whenever she started a Sunday school class in 1932 to reach the roughhousing boys in this community. We have to have the desire deep-seated inside of us. Whenever we see someone lost and undone, instead of turning our backs on them or hiding our face uh, because of something that may not be the way that we like it, instead we've got to take it head on so that we can get the gospel inside of other people. And this was the, the message of the Antioch church. They had this deep passion and this deep desire so that everyone knew the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how the early church actually grew. They were hungry to get the gospel into the community. And you know why they were hungry? Because this is what Jesus said the church's assignment was. To be my witnesses to be God's ambassadors, to be God's priesthood everywhere that they went. So how good of a witness is, how good of a witness are you for God? This isn't a a moment of shame. This is a moment of calling up to be who God created you to be. This isn't in a drink shame, I've been a bad witness. No, that's, that's a lie of the enemy. This is a moment of calling us up to be his witnesses that he actually created us to be. The Antioch church was an evangelistic church. But you know where the majority of church growth comes in America today? It's from people shifting from one church to another church to another church to another church. And so this church gets smaller, but this church gets bigger because this church took people from this church. And then this church gets bigger because then they took people from this church and it's just us rearranging chairs within our churches. That's not how the early church was growing. They weren't borrowing people from this church to that church to that church to that church. And those things are not bad. You need to be in the church that God actually planted you. And if God planted you here, then we want you to be a part of this refuge of grace. And if God is sending you somewhere else, then just the way that he sent Paul and, Barn- uh, Paul and Barnabas to another church, we want you to be in that church because every one of us have to be obedient to God right exactly where he plants us. But we don't want to grow our church just by sending people from church to church to church to church. We've got to have this evangelistic desire burning inside of us for the people that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is not something that we say, we're just going to get a bunch of evangelists in here, and we're going to let the evangelists actually go do that. That's not the model that the church in Antioch actually had. They were all witnesses to the gospel and life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. The Antioch church 
which is vital for us in this refuge of grace, was an evangelistic church, and every one of us must be evangelistic. Let's look at Acts chapter 11, verse 19 and 20. So this is going back a couple of chapters here. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. So here, again, remember what they were doing? Only focusing on the Jews. But listen, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. There was this urgency that they had of spreading the good news of the gospel. And we have to be a church that keeps the fires of evangelism alive, despite existing for over 90 years. We can't live off of yesterday's evangelistic efforts. We have to be obedient to the Spirit right now in 2023 in spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, reaching our own Jerusalem right here. It's still the first commission to the church that we see in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. So if the Antioch church was an evangelistic people, then we must be an evangelistic people. So evangelism has to be the heartbeat of what we're doing here at Whitechapel Church in this refuge of grace. The other thing that, is I, I is, that I think is important for us, and I applaud our efforts and commitment to this next one, the thing that just blows me away is the multicultural church that the Antioch church was. Multicultural. Now, now, now I want to pause here again and say, point out something that I believe is vital for us to understand the truth in the Scripture. I did not say a multiracial church because there's only one race, and that is the human race. And so every one of us, despite the differences of what we may look like on the exterior, we're all humans, and God made one Adam, and he made one Eve, and all of us derive directly from Adam and Eve. I wish they had ancestry back then. Now, we get some of that in the Bible, right? We get a little bit of that in the Bible. But I wish that they could have done the DNA testing. So then that way we could see, I am Adam's great, great, whatever, grandson. And then we would be able to see, oh, hey, look, we're all a part of the same lineage. We're, our, our branches are all a part of the same actually tree. Because that's scriptural. That is the Bible actually played out. And so I will be intentional to say we don't want to be a multiracial church because that's using the world's terms and trying to bring them in here and fit the, world, fit the church in a box. Instead, we've got to do a better job communicating to this community and the world abroad that there's just one race. And in that, there are lots of different cultures that are inside of that. And then even in each branch of that, there are so many different cultures and so we have to be committed, like the Antioch, like the Antioch Church, to being a, multi, a multicultural church, that we are reaching all cultures. I, I just shared that passage of Scripture from Acts chapter 11, where we see that there are a few different people that joined together in the church in Antioch. If we were to take a look again at Acts chapter 13, we would see several different people of these five men. Let's do that. Let's, let's, look, at verse, let's look at verse 1 here of Acts chapter 13. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger. Now, he was probably called this because his exterior skin was black, and he didn't look like Paul. 
you know what's taking place here? Let's, let's, let's do the next guy here. There was Lucius of Cyrene, a different culture, who actually came to Antioch. And then there was Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, a different culture, and raised at a very, very high income level. And then here's Saul. Do you see the different cultures that are on display here in the church in Antioch? You see, what was happening in Antioch is they weren't, they weren't looking at the outside. They all shared the same heart and passion to be who God had created them to be. And whenever we focus on the mission of God, then what we begin to understand is that we can all actually be together here because that fulfills Jesus' prayer for unity in the book of John, that we would be one. Now, what we're going to see happen in the church is there were some divisions that came up because of differences in teaching and different cultures. So as we commit to being a multicultural church, there are going to be things that we actually work through. There are going to be some things that we have to figure out on our own by seeking the Lord and listening to the Holy Spirit. But what we have to do is be committed to being unified. It's one of God's dreams for us. And so if there is a dream of God for unity in this place, then more than likely, he wants us to be a multicultural church to model to the world what it's like for God's children to be unified together to then show everybody that we can be together and not be divided. When we're a multicultural church, do you know what is a key priority? And I want you to catch this this morning because this, this was happening in Antioch and we'll see it play out in the next few chapters of the book of Acts. <clears throat> now the enemy, of course, used it for division. But you know what they did here in the early church? They listened to one another. They listened to one another. Do you know how the enemy divides? Once I say this, you're going to be like, oh yeah. And we know this. Do you know what happened? you know how the enemy divides us into different, our different cultures in this world? We lead with the word I instead of pausing to listen to somebody else that's a little bit different from us. And we'll see here in this early church to where people begin to say, I believe this, I think this, this is what I believe actually needs to take place. But yet there were some other people that weren't being listened to. And we'll see, have to see Paul actually interject and there's a division that takes place in the church. Because I took, precedent, I took precedence over listening to other people. If we want to be like the Antioch church and we want to be a multicultural church, then we have to first listen before we speak. I think Paul actually wrote some of those words in one of his epistles, right? Slow to speak. Slow to speak. Do you know what happens when the enemy attacks and we speak before we listen? We're putting self before other people. So I hope that in this next season of ministry for us, as God continues to allow us to become a more diverse congregation, a multicultural church, I hope that we keep our ears before our mouths in listening. Now, this is just a warning for us. It's something to write down. It's something to think about. But it's something that we have to keep in front of us 
as we are listening to what the Lord is doing here. But you know what I actually see in this church in Antioch? I see a very diverse church. And I think that the more diverse the church is, the more powerful and influential that it will actually become. Because there's diversity in this world. And we need to show that by being a multicultural church, we can still be unified together. But in thinking about listening, this is what I want to caution us about. It runs both ways, right? Everybody's got to have their listening ears on. And when somebody says something of their experience or when somebody says something about how they feel or what they believe, that doesn't mean we jump on and we actually attack. That means they're sharing something that is important and they're giving you a little bit of an open window into them. But then every side has to also listen. Everybody listens to one another. And as we're listening to each other, we're listening to the Holy Spirit to guide us and actually direct us. And so I'm excited to see how this actually plays out um, in these next chapters as we study what this is. So we've got to be an, 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 a, we have to be an evangelistic church. We have to be a multicultural church, but we have to be a teaching church as well. We have to be a teaching church that's committed to knowing and teaching the Word of God. Every strong congregation that has ever existed from the arrival of the Holy Spirit all the way up until now was committed to the Word of God, committed to knowing it and understanding it and applying it in our lives. And if a congregation of people is ever going to get to the place to where they're touching the world, then what happens is we've got to get the Word of God inside of us so that we can actually get it into the Word, the world. The Word is vital for your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why we encourage you to be a part of a community group. That's why we encourage you to study the Word of God on your own. That's why we place precedence on the Word of God and getting that inside of all of us so that way we can be disciples of Jesus Christ. You can't be a holy disciple of Jesus Christ if you're not spending time in His Word and with Him, discussing His Word with Him. Because this is where we, we learn how to be holy. This is where we learn how to be his children. It's in his word that we allow God to take away the things from us that, doesn't need to be a part, that he doesn't want to be in us. And then to fill us with who he desires for us to be so that we can display the fruit of the Spirit. And if you look at what Paul and Barnabas did here in the church in Antioch, they were focused on teaching the Word of God as they laid the foundation to this great church to achieve God's dream for us. They taught for life change, for people to reflect the image of God. And so here then, we actually see the world start to say about these believers in Antioch that they're a bunch of Christians. And it wasn't a badge of honor. It was a shame, a shaming word. They were saying, these people are like Jesus, and we don't want to be like Jesus. So we're going to call them Christians because they are Christ-like and what better thing for people to say about us than we are Christ-like? 
like. In order for us to be the refuge of grace that God desires for us to be, and in order for you to be the, the son or daughter of Christ that he desires for you to be, you have to be committed to the word of God and being in the word of God. We have to be in the word of God. And so in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, see what Paul and Barnabas were doing here. And when he found him, this is when Barnabas went out and found Saul, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. They were teaching the word of God. They were in the word of God. They were studying what God wanted to do in their midst. And this was vital for them and it is vital for us. But in that Acts chapter 11 verse, do you see what's taking place? Paul and Barnabas are raising up teachers because God is eventually going to send them out. And there needed to be some strong teachers still in this amazing church in, in Antioch. <coughs> Excuse me. And so Paul and Barnabas are raising up these other leaders. That's a part of what God desires for us as well. We've got to raise up people, bring in people, and take the people that are here and raise them up, get them in the Word of God so it raises them up into spiritual powerhouses so that God can use them, be it here or if they are actually sent out. In order for us to send out the leaders that God desires for us to send out, we have to be committed to the Word of God. And so I challenge you to get into His Word. <clears throat> The fourth thing, so it's not just evangelistic, a multicultural church and a teaching church, but everybody has a part in the church. I want you to understand that you have a part in the church. We are a team ministry, and we are all on the same team actually together, and you have a part in God's plan. <clears throat> Excuse me, Martin Luther actually said it this way, the word priest should become as common as the word Christian because all Christians are priests. We talk about the priesthood of all believers, that everyone, everyone has actually been made a priest or if you are in, if you are in relationship with God. And so Martin Luther says the word priest should actually become as common as the word Christians because we're all priests, we're all Christians, we're all followers of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean when we think about every one of us being a priest. Here's simply what I believe about this word priest and the priesthood of all believers. And this is why you have a part in what God is doing in the life of this refuge of grace. <clears throat> and thinking about the word priest, what we've seen in the Old Testament and still is the pattern in some churches are that the priest would be the ones to actually go to God on our behalf. But what part of the work of Jesus is he tore down that veil that separated the commoners from himself so that all of us would have direct access to him. So no longer does anyone have to go to the Father on your behalf, but because you are a child of God, because you are a priest, you have direct access to the Father. And so whenever I say that we have to operate as priests, I mean what you should be doing is taking advantage of the access that you have to the king of this kingdom that we actually operate in. And so every single one of us has to be spending time with the Father so that we can then be committed 
to being an evangelistic church. Spending time with a father so then you can be committed to actually being a multicultural church. Spending time with a father so then that way we can actually be committed to being a teaching church in studying, understanding, applying, and living out the Word of God. You have access to the Father, and He is just waiting for you to take Him up on that access, and it comes about in our worshiping and praying and then in our time of fasting. This is how you actually then become a priest. He then shares with you how He's gifted you, and then you actually live that out. The fifth thing is, Committed to prayer and fasting. Now, we talked about this last week. I'm only going to point one thing out. If you want more on this committed to prayer and fasting, then I want to encourage you to actually go back and actually dive into this a little more. So number five, committed to prayer and fasting. Acts chapter 12, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 13, verse 2. Do you see what they did? While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Worshiping the Lord and fasting. That has to be vital for us. And now the last thing. We have to be led by the Holy Spirit in relationship with God. The Antioch church was evangelistic. They were a multicultural church. The Antioch church was committed to teaching. They made sure that everybody that was a part of the church took part and participated in the work. They were committed to prayer and fasting. But you know what? The most amazing thing was they were led by the Spirit. Again, we'll go back to the beginning of Acts chapter 13, verse 2, and look at what it says. While they were worshiping and worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Do you catch the amazing implications of this verse? The God who spoke the world into existence, the God who in the beginning of the book of Genesis, if we go through, it says, and the Lord said, and the Lord said, and the Lord said, and the Lord said, six times, and after those six times, nothing formed what God had actually said. And then we get to Acts chapter 13, verse two, while the Antioch church was worshiping and fasting, spending time with the Lord in prayer, the Holy Spirit said, we have to be a church that is committed to being led by Holy Spirit so that as he speaks, it moves us. And then and only when he speaks are we actually moved. This has to be the commitment to every single one of us listening to Holy Spirit and what he directs and how he guides so then we make certain that we are a church that is actually unified together, led by the Spirit. If Jesus is the head of the church, as we actually see all throughout the Scripture in the New Testament, if Jesus is the head of the church, then there must be a way for the head of the church to communicate to the church. And that is through the Holy Spirit. So we have to be a church committed to listening to the Holy Spirit and not being influenced by the shiny things of this world and not being influenced by the great uh, leaders of this world. There are some great leaders. However, they don't trump what the Holy Spirit says. And so we have to be a church just like the Antioch church that is anticipating, listening to what the Holy Spirit says to every single one of us 
You have direct access to the God of Genesis who spoke the world into existence. And why would we want to be plugged into some other source whenever the source of all sources is waiting to speak to us? So what we see here in Antioch is a group of people more committed to listening to the Holy Spirit than anything else. And do you know that because of them, the gospel came to us? They're our spiritual forefathers. It was them worshiping and fasting in Acts chapter 13 that eventually paved the way for the gospel to come to us. Do you see how they changed the world? Do you see what they did in listening to the Holy Spirit? How God used them to almost 2,000 2000 years later to get the word of God to us. So I want to ask you this week, if you would just simply write these six things down. If you've got a camera, you can take out a camera and take a photo of this. And I just want to ask you to spend some time with the Lord on every one of these things. We're going to get into some more of these next week. But spend some time with the Lord on these things. What, is, what does he want to say to you about these things? Maybe you've not had time in your day to actually sit with the Lord. Maybe your day's just filled up from the moment you wake up until the moment you lay your head down, you just go, 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 go. You can do that for a little while, but eventually you're gonna crash. And the crash comes about because God has gotta use that to get you to stop so he can talk to you. And some of you may be living in a crash moment right now And you're wondering why everything seems to be crashing or why you take one step forward and then it's two steps backwards. It's because God wants you to get to number six right here to where you're just listening to him. So what I want to ask you to to do this week is, in this moment is examine your week and figure out which part of each day you're going to spend with him being led by his spirit, listening to him in relationship with him. So as our worship team comes this morning, I want to ask you to think about what the Lord may have been stirring in you this morning. Think about, as we've studied his word and we've spent time in worship this morning, What the Holy Spirit has been stirring in you? Is it making a commitment to him? Is it surrendering something that you've been hanging on to? That he says now's the time to lay it down? Is it creating some space in every single day for him and you together? Is it taking another step in some other area of your life? What is it that the Lord's been stirring in you? And as we sing... As we sing, just have a conversation with the Lord about that. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week.